Lord, sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. Amen. God's word that we meditate on this morning is our Old Testament lesson from Jeremiah chapter 23. Am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them, declares the Lord. Do not I fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. I have heard what the prophets say who prophesy lies in my name. They say, I had a dream, I had a dream. How long will this continue in the hearts of these lying prophets who prophesy the delusions of their own minds? They think the dreams they tell one another will make my people forget my name, just as their ancestors forgot my name through Baal worship. Let the prophet who has a dream recount the dream. But let the one who has my word speak it faithfully. For what has straw to do with grain, declares the Lord. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces. This is the word of the Lord. Do you know what the longest war in world history is? If you do a quick internet search, you'd find it. It's called the Reconquista. And it was fought between the Catholic Spanish Empire on the Iberian Peninsula, which is Spain and Portugal. And they were fighting against the Moors or the Muslims who had come up from Morocco and Algeria, northern Africa, and invaded that Iberian Peninsula. This war started in 711 AD and didn't finish until 1492. A 781-year war. That is a long war. Put that into perspective, it's three times longer than we have been a nation here in the United States. But that's not the longest war, actually, in history. You won't find this one if you do an internet search. But it's a war that has waged on for, depending on how long you date the earth, how, how long you... You age it. If it's 8,000 years, 10,000, 12,000, whatever, however long you, you decide on the earth has been around, that's how long this war has been waging. And it still goes on today. And it's a war that is much different than any other war in the history books. Because it's not one about land or about money or resources, but something much, much more valuable. And it's not a war that results in bloodshed and death. It results in something much, much worse. It's the war on the Word of God. The war on the Word of God has been raging and waging ever since Satan spoke through that serpent in the Garden of Eden and said, Did God really say? When God's truthfulness and his love and his promises were called into question. And the results have been detrimental. Sin and suffering and pain and death in this world. And that war continues to rage on against that word of God today. Those who continue to twist it and change it and add to it and subtract from it and soften it those who are enemies of that word of God 
And the result is many wandering from the faith, away from Christ, away from grace, and into the prison of hopelessness and despair and doubt and potentially eternally hell. It's a war that continues to wage on in our day here. But not just in the world. Not just out there, but unfortunately even within the Christian church. That there are those, even within the Christian church, that Satan has duped and misled to believe in the lies and to set aside that truth of God. And this is one of Satan's favorite tactics, because if he can get the religious leaders, if he can get the people in the positions of leadership to buy into his lies and then to share them and teach them and preach them, oh, the damage he can do. And what damage he has done throughout history. About 2,600 years ago, the prophet Jeremiah was in a seemingly losing battle. The war against the word of God was raging, and it seemed like things were going to be lost. You see, Jeremiah was a true prophet of the true God, but he was just one voice among the many, and the many were not listening to him anymore. There were these other so-called prophets who weren't prophesying the words of God, they were prophesying their own words, their own dreams, their own lies, and they were leading God's people away from him. And, and here in our lesson, God comes along the side of Jeremiah and commiserates with him. Because he was, these, these false prophets were, were leading them into these false beliefs, these false sense of security. And leading God's chosen people to choose to worship other gods, false gods. And so God comes to Jeremiah and he says, I've heard what the prophets say who prophesy lies in my name. They say, I had a dream, I had a dream. How long will this continue in the hearts of these lying prophets who prophesy the delusions of their own minds? They think the dreams they tell one another will make my people forget my name just as their ancestors forgot my name through Baal worship. Jeremiah, and, and just a couple of other prophets at the time who were holding on to that word of God in its truth and purity, were in this loose, seemingly losing battle. Their lives were in danger. They were being threatened. And throughout Jeremiah's book, you hear. You hear him lament. And wonder, was this, is this all worth it? Is this a battle worth fighting is it worth going on? About 2,000 years later, after the time of Jeremiah, it had seemed that that war was over. That the old evil foe finally had his way. That the truth of God's word had been lost completely. Because, you see, at that time, your average common person couldn't read the Bible. It wasn't in their language. So they had to rely on the religious leader to tell them what it said. And what they told him wasn't what was really in there. 
They added to it, they subtracted from it, they changed it for all sorts of different reasons, for control of the people, for gain of money and power. But it seemed at that time, the truth had been lost. The evil foe had won. The war over. Until a young monk started reading the scriptures for himself and not just listening to what he had been taught. And what he came to realize is that what he had been taught didn't quite match up with what the Spirit was enlightening him to see in those scriptures. Because he couldn't find anywhere in the Bible that forgiveness could be, in, could be purchased with money through the indulgence letters of the time. You couldn't buy your forgiveness. He couldn't find anywhere in, the in, in, in God's word that you had to do good works to earn your salvation. In fact, he's found the opposite. That we were saved by grace through the righteousness of Christ given as a free gift. He couldn't find anywhere in the Bible that it was only priests that could forgive sins. But that we are a priesthood of all believers that are called to forgive each other. He couldn't find anywhere in the Bible that, that the rules of men, like popes and councils, were the same as the word of God, but instead that the sole authority in all spiritual matters were the scriptures alone. He was led by the Spirit to see these errors of the church of his day, and his goal was to have a debate about it, to have a discussion. And so he wrote up 95 theses, or points of debate, to point out these errors in the goal of leading the church back to the truth of the Word of God. And so he took those 95 theses and he posted them on the door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany, 504 years ago today, October 31st, knowing that the next morning, November 1st, All Saints Day, people would be coming to church and be able to read them there in Germany. This man named Martin Luther didn't quite know the firestorm that he would start through that one act of putting those theses on that church door. Just four years after he did that, in 1521, 500 years ago this year, he was excommunicated from the church. A bounty was put on his head for his death. And he was brought before an assembly called the Diet of Worms, to have one last opportunity to recant. To take back everything that he had written and taught and preached over the last four years. And Luther writes himself that it was in that moment, standing before the emperor himself, to recant his writings that he was afraid and wondered, is this a battle worth fighting? The church is against me. The whole empire is against me. My life is on the line. Is it worth fighting this battle anymore? And friends, this war that raged on in Luther's time, Jeremiah's time, and all the way back to that Garden of Eden, it's still waging on today, isn't it? We see it in our world, don't we? 
I mean, this book is seen as just one among many religious writings that really can't be trusted because it's written by men. Right? It, Jesus is just one way to God among many. And what you find in here is, is antiquated because creation is just a myth. And marriage, right, it's just a social construct, a custom that, that we get to define how we want. And we get to define what sin is and what it isn't. We see the attacks of the world on the word of God. Raging. But just like Jeremiah's time and just like Luther's time, it's not just the world. It's happening right within the church, even today. Some of those same errors that Martin Luther was led by the Spirit to see in the church of his day are still existent in the church today. In the Christian church, in some places, it's being taught that you have to do good works to please God and to go to heaven. That you have to decide to believe, you have to choose to believe that faith is not really a gift that God gives you. There are Christian churches out there that actually teach that this is not the inerrant word of God. That there are errors and mistakes in it. Jesus has taken a back seat to social causes in so many Christian churches today. And there's the redefining of sin based on what society says. Right? Things become lifestyle choices and we can't tell you that's wrong because that's what you choose and God... You, okay. And even within some churches that claim to be Lutheran. They deny the bodily resurrection of Jesus. If you don't have that, what do you have anymore? Friends, the word of God is under attack. There's war waging on this pure word of God, even within the Christian church today. We can see it in the world. We can identify it within the church. But the war wages even in here, doesn't it? Because that sinful flesh still bristles against the word of God. It still doesn't want to hear some of it. And we still have Satan coming to us with that age-old lie. Did God really say? He can't be serious. Really, all of that doesn't apply to you anymore. It doesn't really matter. I mean, how can God really be truthful and loving if, look at your life, look at the world, right? There's still that human nature within us that thinks that we still have to do something to make ourselves right with God, that somehow our good works count towards, towards something with God. The war that's waging even with inside of us ourselves against this word of God. And when you think about all these enemies... You think about the world and, and, and even within the church and, and even within ourselves, can't you begin to start to feel like Jeremiah and Luther after a while? Is this worth it anymore? Why, why fight? Why keep going on? Is it worth the battle anymore? So what do we do? What do we do as we face these enemies, as we were in this war? What we do, what Jeremiah did. He listened to God. God comes to him 
As Jeremiah is depressed and like, why am I even going out? Why am I doing this anymore? Why am I even, why am I a prophet? No one's listening. No one cares. Why should I go on? God comes to him and he says this right at the beginning of our lesson. He says, am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them, declares the Lord. Do not I fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. God comes to Jeremiah. As he feels he's in this seemingly losing battle. And he comes and says, remember who I am, Jeremiah. I am the God who fills all things. I am the God who is not just far away, but is near and is with you in the fight. I know the fight. I know, I know what's going on against me and against my word and against you, my prophet. I know about their lies. And I'm here with you in the fight. I am here, as we confess in that wonderful psalm that led Martin Luther to write a mighty fortress, that God says to us, he is our refuge. He is our strength. He is our ever-present help in trouble. He is the God of Jacob. He is our fortress. He is with us in this fight to comfort us and strengthen us and encourage us to hold firm to the truth. And then after God commiserates with Jeremiah and what he knows is going on, the lies and the dreams that they're misleading the people, he says this, but let the one who has my word speak it faithfully. For what has straw to do with grain, declares the Lord, is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces. He comes to Jeremiah and says, Jeremiah, I've given you my word. And you know what you're called to do. No matter what else is going on around you, no matter if you think anyone's listening or not, speak my word faithfully. Proclaim it boldly and confidently. He says, what does straw have to do with grain? Right? You're not going to mix your straw in with your grain. Right? The, the, he's saying that you don't mix in false teachings with the pure word of God, the grain. No, you keep it pure. You hold it out. You proclaim it. Why? Because it is a hammer and it's a fire. He says it comes in and it destroys, it annihilates all errors and false teachings. Like a fire and a hammer, it does its mighty work as it cuts through the lies of Satan and reveals them for what they are. It comes in to those wolves in sheep's clothing, even within the church, to reveal their errors. It comes right to you, right into your heart, to drive out those falsehoods and those lies that you can somehow make yourself right with God. That word is like a hammer and a fire as it works on our hearts and convicts us of the truth to again see that pure word of God that reveals our God to us. Like Jeremiah, we are given this word to speak faithfully to those caught in the web of lies of Satan to one another, to ourselves. What do we do? What do we do when we feel like giving up and this battle's not worth fighting? We do what Luther did. He stood trembling, afraid before that deed of Worms, where he was told to recant everything he had written and taught, preached. 
but by the power of the Holy Spirit. He was able to speak that word faithfully. And at the end of the speech he gave there in front of the emperor, he said that I neither can nor will retract anything. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God, help me. In the face of danger and death, Martin Luther held firmly to that word of truth and proclaimed it boldly. Let the one who has my word speak it faithfully. Friends, this is what we are called to do. In the war that wages on it, and we have the promise it's going to wage on until the end. We heard it in our gospel lesson. Jesus tells us there's going to continue to be enemies of the church and even in the church that we have to go to battle with. But the comfort is is we know the outcome. We know that there will be an end to the war, and we know who the victor will be. In that second verse of A Mighty Fortress, we sang this. We sang, With might of ours cannot be done. Soon were our loss affected. But for us fights the valiant one, whom God himself elected. You ask, who is this? Jesus Christ it is the Almighty Lord, and there's no other God. He holds the field forever. Friends, we know the outcome of this war because this Word of God became flesh and came to dwell among us. This Word of God came here in flesh to preach it and to live it and to die for it, and to rise and fulfill it. Jesus Christ, the valiant one. This one who is our comfort and our assurance that you don't have to earn God's favor, it's already done. That you can't buy your forgiveness, it's already been purchased with the innocent suffering and death of this valiant one, Jesus Christ. The war is already declared over in Jesus. He has crushed the head of that serpent. It is finished. We know the outcome is secure. We know how this all turns out. We know who the victor is. We know who holds the field forever. It's Jesus. Who is our righteousness? Who is our peace? Who is our God man? Who is our savior and our substitute and our brother and our friend and our Lord? This is the one who fights for us. This is the one who comes to us in the battle to strengthen us and encourage us. This is the one who comes to entrust to us, to his church, the sword of the spirit, the word of God to go to battle with these errors and these lies of Satan. This is the one who comes to us to assure us that he rules over all things for our good and for the good of his church. This is the one that assures us that not even the gates of hell can overcome his church. The valiant one, the victor, Jesus Christ. And so as we just sang, church, arise and put your armor on. Listen to the call of Christ, our captain. And to continue to proclaim that word faithfully to a world full of people that needs to hear it. 
that by God's grace we hold on to these truths. And even if no one seems to be listening, we proclaim them anyways. We get to proclaim these solas, which is the Latin for alone, to the world. Right? Three of them that are listed there, that we're saved by grace alone. And it comes to us through faith alone, and this is revealed to us in the scriptures alone. These blessed truths that we have, that we believe in, that we desire to live and to share. As we're going to sing in our final hymn, as we, right before we leave here, and we go back out into this world, we're going to sing together that, Lord, grant while worlds endure, we keep your teachings pure throughout all generations. May God give us his grace to know these truths, to live these truths, and go and proclaim these truths of his word faithfully. God grant it. <laughs>